Hi, this is Pastor Mike from Compass in Monterey County. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I hope it encourages you and gives you confidence that Jesus is by your side and that his plans for you are to bless you. Well, long before dysfunctional families entered into the vocabulary of Americans, the Bible was warning us that dysfunctional parents can pass on their behavior to their children and on to the next generations through those children. You see, the Bible is the most realistic book in the world. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, the sins of the parents are passed on to the third and fourth generation. It's a ditto factor. Children tend to ditto the behavior of their parents. And when it's dysfunctional, the children tend to pick up that same dysfunctional behavior and then their kids after them. And that's why in a very profound sense, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, is about how parents pass their dysfunction on to the next generation and the next and the next. In this series, we've been following for 38 chapters, from chapter 12 to chapter 50, the end of the book. A family tree that is the poster child for dysfunctional families. It all starts with Abraham and Sarah. And we've talked about their behavior as being dysfunctional. And what does their son Isaac do? The very same thing. He treats his children the way they treated him. And then what do his children do? Well, they treat him the way he treated his father. And we end up with Jacob, who's the father of Joseph and Joseph's brothers. And what does Jacob do? The very same thing that his father did to him that wounded him so much, he does to his sons. The ditto factor. Now there's something that's real important. We saw last week that Joseph and his brothers repeat virtually every sin of their dad. Every one of them. But as we notice the dysfunction through four generations, there's not one instance of addiction. There's no sexual abuse. There's no physical abuse going on in these families. But they're as dysfunctional as you can get. And that's very important because we tend to identify dysfunctional, oh, that's a family where there's addiction, sexual abuse, beating going on. No, 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 no. Dysfunctional means any kind of attitude or behavior that we have that doesn't allow us to function relationally. It cripples us relationally, especially with sinful people. We are dysfunctional. When we're, if we're only able to operate like a Christian, like an emotionally mature person, if the other person is perfect, if they're perfect, then we're okay. 
The problem with that is there are no perfect people in the world. Everybody around you has sin. Everybody around them has weaknesses. A dysfunctional person, when that, they get around a person like them, like that, they become dysfunctional. They can't relate to that kind of person. And some examples we've talked about are being judgmental, elitist, thinking you're better than others. It's being unwilling to admit that your reaction wasn't like Christ would react. It's anger problems, whether it's yelling or it's quiet anger and passive aggressive. It's being self-centered. It's being perfectionistic. It's holding grudges, keeping a record of wrong. Those are all dysfunctional behaviors because they turn you into a cripple relationally around anybody other than a perfect person. Joseph begins just as dysfunctional as his family. When we first meet him in chapter 37, uh, we talked about how though his dysfunctions aren't exactly what his brothers are, he's just as dysfunctional as they are. But somewhere between being thrown in that pit and overhearing his brothers talk about him, and on the way when he arrives in Egypt as a slave, he changes. The scriptures say when he arrives in Egypt, he has become a humble man. He sure wasn't in chapter 37. He was arrogant and self-centered, but he changed and broke the cycle that was in his family. And he names his first son Manasseh, which in Hebrew means the healing of memories, or God has taken the sting out of my memories. Isn't that fantastic? Every time he called his son's name, Manasseh, Manasseh, come here. He was remembering that he no longer carried those dysfunctional behaviors. God had healed his memories of all the wounds that he had in his family. He was reminding himself, I'm a changed man. Surely someone here today has memories that are not healed. Memories that still sting and hurt when the tapes roll inside your head. Surely some of us have come from a dysfunctional family and we do carry scars. Wouldn't you like to break the cycle in your own life and not pass it on? How do you do that? Well, you're not going to like the answer. Because the answer is one of the most unpopular commandments in the Bible. Now, you've got to remember that God's thoughts are high, as high as the heavens above our thoughts. That just means he's a lot smarter than we are. So don't be surprised when he has an idea that surprises you. And here's one of them. It's one of the famous Ten Commandments. It's the fifth commandment in the Decalogue, and it says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, Honor your father and mother as the Lord has commanded, 
There's no exception. As dysfunctional as they are, honor parents who don't deserve it. The proof that Joseph had broken free of his family's dysfunctional patterns is in our scripture reading this morning when he honors Jacob who doesn't deserve it. We see him honoring his father by riding out to greet him as he enters Egypt and kissing his neck and hugging him, welcoming him. Can you imagine the flashbacks that came to Jacob as he was in his chariot riding out to meet his father, whom he had not seen in 22 years? The flashback back to the pit after he'd been beaten up by his brothers. The flashback of the caravan taking him to Egypt and then being sold on the block as a slave and living as a slave and then being thrown in a dungeon unjustly and then being betrayed by people he had helped in the dungeon. The flashbacks of all that he had been through and realizing it was all his father's doing. Yes, it was Jacob's dysfunction that made his brother so angry at Joseph and started this whole painful cycle in Joseph's life. It's his father. And yet he goes out and throws his arms around him and loves him. And then our scripture says he introduces him to Pharaoh, the most elegant, sophisticated leader in the world. In the scripture reading I talked about, you know, if your parents haven't achieved maybe the status you have, they're uneducated, uh, maybe unsophisticated, there are plenty of adult children who are reluctant to introduce them into their circles because, well, they're kind of embarrassing. Here's Jacob who lives in a tent. He's a nomad. He lives in a slum. He's a sheep herder and smells like sheep. He stinks. It's a despised profession by the Egyptians. Historically, they despise shepherds. His father was uneducated. The way he dressed, everything about him. He'd never been in an Egyptian store. And he introduces him to elegant Pharaoh. He honors his father. And then he takes care of his dad in his old age. He honors a dad who does not deserve it. These last few months I've stayed after worship and prayed for the healing of anybody who needed ministry. Almost every Sunday I've stayed to 1.30 or even beyond as I've prayed sometimes upward to 40 or 50 people that have come after the first and the second service. And it's been just amazing. It's really, I've got to tell you, their stories break my heart. I have heard horrific stories. I have never heard stories like I've heard lately.
And I can just imagine what some of you are thinking right now. After what my parents did to me, you want me to honor them? No way. And I understand. One of my favorite stories goes like this. Once upon a time, there was an old man. His eyes blinked and his hands trembled. When he ate, he often missed his mouth with the spoon and dribbled a bit of food on the tablecloth and himself. He lived with his married son, having nowhere else to live. And his son's wife was a modern young woman who knew that in-laws should not be tolerated in a woman's home. I can't have this, she said. He interferes with my right to happiness. So she and her husband took the little old man gently by the arm, but firmly, and put him in the corner of the kitchen. They set him on a stool and gave him a, his food in a bowl. From then on, he always ate in that corner, blinking at the table with teary eyes. One day, his hands trembled more than usual, and the bowl fell and broke. The daughter-in-law said, If you are a pig, then you must eat from a pig's trough. And so they made him a little wooden trough, and from then on he ate his meals out of that pig's trough. They had a four-year-old son whom they loved very much. One day the parents noticed their son was playing with some wood and asked what he was doing. Their four-year-old smiled and looked up to their faces for approval and said, I am making a trough to feed you out of when I get big. <laughs> the man and his wife looked at each other, didn't say a thing, and they went to the corner and took the little old man by the arm and led him back to the table. They sat him in a comfortable chair and gave him his food on a plate. And from then on, no one ever scolded him when he spilled or broke things. Why honor parents who don't deserve it? Because our children are watching and they're listening to what we say about our parents and they're taking notes. Do we really want to teach our children to judge, to hold on to resentment, to keep a record of wrong? Do we really want our children to hold on to anger? That's the first reason to honor even undeserving parents. The other reason is because of what Nelson Mandela famously said. Resentment will clog your soul. Any other choice rather than honoring undeserving parents clogs us up spiritually because every choice has a consequence and it cripples us emotionally. You can't walk with Jesus if you're holding hands with the devil. You can't. 
So honoring undeserving parents is actually the best thing we can do for ourselves and for our children. Because any other choice passes on dysfunction and starts a whole new cycle as our children take notes on us. Still, how do you honor a parent who doesn't deserve it? Well, the first step is we must forgive the unforgivable because Jesus has forgiven us of the unforgivable. You know, when you think about it, of course we have to forgive the unforgivable because if we only forgive the forgivable, what credit is that? And how much do people actually do that wounds us that's really forgivable? No, it's all unforgivable. That's why it's so difficult. So of course the first step in honoring undeserving parents is not to forgive the forgivable, it's to forgive the unforgivable. Because that's what clogs us. Nietzsche, the German philosopher, said that Jesus' teaching about forgiveness was for suckers. He said that teaching of Jesus was only for weak people who could not stand up for themselves. A lot of people agree that to forgive the undeserving is a chip. You need to get even. You don't know Mary, but and many of you know the kind of things she went through. Her father repeatedly sexually and emotionally abused her as a little girl. He would come into her bedroom after she was in bed and molest her. Her mother knew about it. But her mother was too afraid of losing her husband to stand up against him and stop it. So when Mary was 17, she married the first guy who said, I love you. And it lasted only three years. And then she went from one guy to the next looking for some guy who would actually love her and didn't find any, kept choosing poorly. And then one day when she was in her 30s, her mother called her to say that her dad had died and to tell her when the funeral was. And immediately when she heard his name, the anger boiled up in her as the tapes began to roll of the memories. All the original feelings came back. And she said to her mother, I'm not coming and hung up. By the time she came to me for counseling, her father had been dead for several years. But she was still his victim emotionally. Every time there was some kind of family event or anything that reminded her of her family, she became his victim again emotionally because she began to relive the emotions of what he had done to her. She was emotionally tied to him. And after I'd listened for a while, I simply said this to her. 
Mary, your dad and mother abused you terribly. They don't deserve your forgiveness. But it's the best thing you can do for yourself. If you don't forgive these undeserving parents, you will remain tied to them emotionally. And you will continue to be their victim every time you remember what they did to you. The only way for you to untie yourself from them is to forgive. Because forgiving in Greek means to let it go. You can't heal a memory you won't forgive. You can't. Forgiving does not mean you never confront. It doesn't mean you don't draw boundary lines. It doesn't mean you allow a person to continue to abuse you. It doesn't always mean there's reconciliation, even though that's the goal. Sometimes there is not reconciliation because the other person actually remains toxic. And so your only choice is some emotional or physical distance from that person because they continue to abuse you. You can't permit that. So sometimes distance is the only solution. But that doesn't mean you don't forgive them still. Because forgiving is simply letting go of the right to get even. Dr. Bernie Siegel is a surgeon at Yale University specializing in cancer. And in his book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, he talks about sending a letter to more than 100 of his cancer patients saying, if you want to learn to live longer and better, come to my house on Wednesday evening. There'll be no charge. I'll talk about things I'm learning that will help you live longer and better. Twelve people showed up. Only twelve. One of the patients wrote him and said, I'd rather live six months drinking and smoking than ten more years abstaining. He died in three, th three months. You know, Jesus once asked a crippled man, do you want to be healed? That was not a silly question. Because God cannot heal us if we're unwilling to make healing choices. There are choices we can make that block the healing God wants to give us. And what Siegel was saying to his patients is, a doctor alone can't be responsible for your healing. You must also make some choices that cooperate with the doctor. Like if you've got cancer, stop drinking and smoking. If you're unwilling to make those healing choices, a doctor can heal you, and neither can God. There are choices we must make that are healing choices. Jesus said to the man, do you want to be healed? He was, do you want to make the choices that are going to heal you? Jesus once said this, blessed are the merciful. Why are the merciful blessed? Especially when you know the bad things that have been done to them. Why are they blessed if they're merciful? Jesus was saying, when you forgive a person, it's the best thing you can do for yourself. 
When you forgive a person, you untie yourself emotionally from that person and that allows the healing to come. But if you're not willing to forgive, you block the healing because you remain tied through your anger and resentment to that person. No, healing requires healing choices. And if you want to honor a parent, the first healing choice you must make is to forgive them and let it go. But of course, what if your parents are not improving? What if every time you see them, they're just as dysfunctional as ever? A woman said to me not long ago, Pastor, my stomach gets into a knot every time I go to see my parents because I know something's going to happen. There's going to be an incident. Anybody got parents like that? Someone at work who's like, you know something's going to happen. What do you do? Well, the second thing you do is you stop taking the bait. Stop being their puppet on a string. I call it give up imperative thinking. Give it up. You know what imperative thinking is? Good parents should. Christians should. Good people should. We're putting our expectations upon people and they're probably right. It's legitimate. A good parent would do this. It's our commandments that we're putting upon them. Our shoulds. Do you really want to do that? Because now you've put your happiness in the control of a dysfunctional person. Because the fact of life is most of the time people don't do what they should do. You've set yourself up for disappointment. You know, theologically, Christians talk about it this way. We live in a fallen world. This is why Christians say we're all sinful. We're sinners. That's why people don't often do what they should do. And a person who goes around with imperative thinking is just setting themselves up for heartache. Stop taking the bait. I love the story of Bruce Larson tells about himself. He says his mother was 83 when she died. She's a very good woman who volunteered all around the community and everybody loved his mother. There's just one little problem she had. She never could affirm her son. Whatever he did was never enough even to get the smallest amount of affirmation. He said he spent a lifetime carrying home his trophies looking for praise from his mother. Whether it was a new book that he had written, or it was an article he had written, or some article written on him, or some award, many awards he received as a writer and as a pastor, she would look at it and very predictably say almost nothing and hand it back to him. And he said just as predictably he would feel angry and hurt and sorry for himself and mad. And then his kids said this to him. Dad, get off grandma's back. She's a great person, but she doesn't like herself very much. And since you're part of her, she doesn't think you're neat either. 
quit playing your life to her. It's a no-win deal. <laughs> you get that? Because she doesn't like herself very much, she doesn't have very much affirmation to give, does she? She can't affirm herself. You see, she's dysfunctional. That's what we mean. She's dysfunctional. So don't put your imperatives on your dysfunctional mother as if she suddenly would do something that's functional. That's what they're saying to her. Your imperatives. This is what Larson says. The kids were right. My mother's sense of no worth extended to me and I had the power to stop being a victim of her inability to respond the way I wanted her to. She was unable to. My problem was not my mother. My problem was myself. When I stopped giving her the power to make me unhappy and angry, then she could no longer hurt me. When you put shoulds, imperatives on other people, you have just given them power to make you unhappy and angry. Don't do that. Give it up. Jung got it right when he said, some things don't change. The only solution for us is to become bigger people. That's what spiritual growth is. Spiritual growth is becoming a bigger person to the point that you can begin to love a dysfunctional parent unconditionally. Without shoulds, no conditions, that's a big person. And that's why I urge you to get into our Bible studies, most of which I write, in our groups, because that's when you get to be a bigger person. And you stop putting shoulds on people. And then third, honoring parents often means accepting reality. Joseph accepts reality, which his dad has not changed and is not going to change. His dad embarrasses him in front of Pharaoh. He complains he hasn't lived very long, even though he's lived 130 years. And he complains about all the bad things that have happened and doesn't once admit that he's the reason they happened. But Joseph doesn't confront his father. Why? He accepts reality. That's my dad. And I'm not going to change him. Stop wasting your life trying to change people. The only person you can change is you. So give them the gift of a little understanding. That means think about the family they came from. Think about the advantages you have in this church, the messages you've heard, the seminars you've been to, that they never had those advantages. The educational background you've had that maybe they haven't. Think about the family they came from. That's when you develop compassion, when you begin to understand their roots when I was at Princeton Seminary as a student, it was required that you take two years of preaching from a guy who was in his 80s and a long retired pastor. I never did very well in those preaching classes. And in my senior year, 
it was my turn to preach and get the scene. All the students are there and all your friends. And I worked very hard on that sermon. And after I was done, my professor said in front of them all that I should give up the idea of being a preacher because I didn't have the gift of preaching. He said that the things that I thought to preach about were not relevant to people who are modern. And he said that I was going to fail if I tried to be a preacher because I just didn't have the gift. His suggestion to me in front of my friends was that I become a YMCA worker or do something that didn't require public speaking. Now, do you think I hold any resentment against that old coot? <laughs> I did for a while, because that hurt badly. My friends wouldn't let me forget it. It dismembered me, become a YMCA worker. It was only after I learned what I'm talking to you about today that I was able to give him the gift of understanding, which was his entire career was spent in little tiny churches on the eastern seaboard. And he grew up in an age, an era, where communication was very different from today. All he was doing in that class was telling me what he knew to tell me. The only way he could judge my preaching was by what he had seen and the way he had been. When I began to understand where he came from and give him the gift of understanding him, I was able to be merciful to him and forgive and forget. Give your parents the gift of understanding. Be merciful. Blessed are the merciful, said Jesus. Blessed are the merciful. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, I pray for us as we go into meditation now, you would Help us to give up our imperatives and commandments and shoulds and to be merciful and give us some things we need to do with our parents to honor them even though they may not deserve it. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. such a relevant message from Dr. Mike. You can order a DVD copy from the website of Compass Church of Monterey County. If these messages are helping you, why not share them with friends and family? It's a great way to be a blessing to others. May God's blessing and favor be upon your life. 